0: This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. We talk about inspiration a lot here on Revision Path, so I wanted to ask Matthew Schoenholtz, a design manager for AR and emerging tech at Facebook, what inspires him?
1: I think seeing people use the products in ways that are meaningful in their life uh, is is very inspirational. I I think the natural world inspires me personally, um, but as a designer, I, I think that it's understanding human behavior and then realizing that we can do something to improve the lives like that that's inspirational to me
0: learn more at facebook.com forward slash design are you looking for a job do you know someone who's looking for a job then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs this week four winds interactive is looking for an art director in denver colorado We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the RevisionPath job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts so when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash jobs.
1: You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry.
0: Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, Glitch, Google Design, and MailChimp. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. Whether it's beautiful digital art, handy tools to help you do your work, or a site for your project or cause, you'll find things on Glitch that remind us the web can still be a fun, creative place full of unexpected surprises. Matter of fact, we just celebrated the one millionth project created on Glitch this week. So what will you create today? Get started at Glitch.com. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. Mailchimp is the world's leading marketing platform for small businesses. Millions of people and businesses around the world trust MailChimp to publish the right content to the right person at the right place at the right time. Build your brand, sell more stuff, find your people, and tell the world your story. Sign up for a free account today and give it a try. MailChimp, send better email. Now for this week's interview. We're talking to Mikkel Fine Isles, Design Director at Bloomberg. Let's start the show.
1: All right. So, tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Mikel Fine Isles. I'm a uh, creative director. I work at Bloomberg. It's a large company with roots in, um, you know, the financial space. But I work within a, um, the marketing organization of Bloomberg, in a what's referred to as the studio, and it's essentially it's its internal creative agency, and we work on a, a range of projects related to anything and, and everything under the, the Bloomberg umbrella, but my team specifically is, is focused on Bloomberg media products and properties and promoting them and creating brand identity systems and full ad campaigns. And so it's, it's a, a quite a diverse range of projects and assignments that, we, that we're focused on. Um, I have a graphic design background and I'm kind of running a team of about five or so creatives of different backgrounds with them. Um, you know, art direction, copywriting, animating, and editing capabilities.
0: What's a typical day like for you at Bloomberg?
1: It's fast and furious. You know, it's <laughs> uh, it's literally kind of nonstop, wall-to-wall, lots of energy, lots of moving parts. It's actually quite a small team compared to the amount of work that we get. So despite the fact that I am a, you know, director, it's a it's a kind of an all hands on deck sort of scenario every day. So I may come in, answer a few emails, go to a few meetings, but a good portion of my day is still spent actually laying things out on a computer or, or sketching or, you know, making things. And and I really do value that and I, and I enjoy that. I'm, I'm glad I still have that, the time to do work and not just sit in meetings all day. So it's a, it's a combination of meetings, actually doing some work, and providing, you know, direction and guidance to the team.
0: You know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that about it being a small team. I feel like designers have really started to take notice of some of the kind of, I almost want to say wacky sort of design things that have come out of Bloomberg within the past few years, specifically on the web, like through the website mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it's also kind of communicated in the print edition of the magazine as well. How big is the team?
1: Well, it's, it's, um, you know, I think there are different organizations or different departments within Bloomberg. So there is a dedicated team that works on the magazine. They're not in my group. So they, the Bloomberg Businessweek team sits within another department. I'm not sure exactly how big they are, but I, I get the sense they're about the same size as my team. So it's probably about five or so people, you know, dedicated resources with, with a few freelancers. And then the web team, again, is just kind of a different scenario as well. They have, they have their own group we do work with the web team and we do work with the, the Bloomberg Business Week folks, you know, overlapping on some projects or collaborating on some projects, but my team is more on the marketing and the advertising side. So we promote things like business week or, you know, com or, you know, a bunch of events that we put together throughout the year, different products like, you know, podcasts or the, or the TV channel and uh, several other products. So, there are little kind of groups and and pockets of the organization that have their own creative teams. Yeah. It sounds
0: like, but it's all sort of all working together though, under the same kind of design, I guess, aesthetic, right?
1: Yeah. And that's, you know, that's been large chunk of what we do as a, you know, as a creative um, team within marketing is we do have the, I guess, advantage of, of kind of being exposed to all the different parts of Bloomberg. So, Within media, there are all these different teams and all these sort of people we, we need to collaborate with and, and you know work closely with. And then there are folks in other parts of the other company and, you know, financial products and, the, you know, philanthropic side of things and the sort of internal company communications. All of it needs to connect and, and ladder up to the same, you know, brand philosophy and the brand, the brand values and the look and feel. And, you know, it all needs to sort of work together harmoniously. It doesn't it doesn't always easily fit in mm-hmm. one neat, neat place. So that's that's a lot of the, the the hard work that we do. So I do have a question here.
0: This is actually from one of our patrons and one of our, our writers. Her name is Sella Lewis, and she actually has a question kind of about the team and I guess about Bloomberg in general. Have there been any challenges encouraging design forward thinking within companies that don't quite have a reputation for being design oriented? I don't know if, if Bloomberg sort of falls within that. In that uh, description,
1: my standpoint. I I came from different ad agencies, different you know design organizations, and uh, you know I worked at a digital marketing company for a little while. I didn't know much about Bloomberg prior to prior to joining. I knew I knew of Bloomberg. I knew the man. I knew that there was this massive company that existed, but beyond that, I wasn't very familiar with, with them. But the more I sort of did a little research. I do remember the, you know, the magazine covers. That was sort of one thing that always that stayed fresh in, in my mind because they were so kind of outrageous. It's just like they would put like two planes humping each other on the cover <laughs> to represent, you know, an airplane merger. It had an edge that I love, had an attitude. And I and I think there's always been that in the company. And the more I learned about Bloomberg, the more it was revealed that there is this really strong sense of of design and creativity and kind of risk taking that shows up in different ways it's a big corporate company it's a massive place with thousands of employees around the world and there's uh you know work with large financial institutions so in that sense there are some things that that need to be kind of quieted down at times or err on the side of kind of uh, more of a conservative look and feel but i would say compared to the marketplace and 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 competitors Bloomberg is is very edgy and has a very sort of distinct design point of view and it can be fun it can be colorful it can be bold it can be it can have its own sort of unique look and I, and and that's what sort of grabbed me when I joined the company we've been able to push it here and there you know when it whenever it makes sense we do we do some fun stuff
0: mhm now, like you said before, you kind of had done work before in the agency world. I know you work in New York City. You worked at JWT for a while. You worked at Noise for a while. And now you're at Bloomberg. What's mm-hmm. the difference for you between design in the agency world and design at a place like that?
1: For me, anyway, design at agencies previously has just been this like, oh, we need, some des- we need to put some design sauce on it. You know, we need to <laughs> sprinkle some design on it. You know, like there's a there's a team in the corner, literally in the corner. Those guys like live and breathe design. Let's get them to to up the design on this thing. Mm-hmm. That was a large part of my experience at other ad agencies, for better or worse. Great talented people, but I I never fully felt like design was ingrained in the in the company ethos or in the way projects were briefed in. When I got to Noise, which is it was a small startup digital marketing company that targeted young folks, that all flipped on its head because I mean there were like twelve of us, you know, in total in this company. I was a design director and I was literally sitting next to the CEO in his office slash the only meeting room in the company. And we would just bounce ideas back and forth and I would literally pull up, you know, Photoshop or whatever, Illustrator and, and make stuff. As I was sitting next to him and bouncing things back and forth, so it, that was a whole different ballgame. And coming to Bloomberg, we've had strong leadership that has design in their DNA. My uh, creative director, Damian Topman, we actually worked together at JWT for a bit. He's a designer. He he comes from a design background, and he's the global creative director at Bloomberg and in the marketing department. And he he has helped you know along with several others, kind of. Built this design language and and helped sort of establish the brand as one that's very design forward and has design in its DNA. So it definitely feels like we are part of the conversation, whether it's folks from Business Week or dot com or elsewhere in the organization. Design is very much has a seat at at the table. Yeah, I would
0: think I would, you know with a, a company that you know takes risks, like you said, it's so a kind of a. A financial slash business publication, it sort of makes sense that they would also take risks in the the area of design. So I get that. I
1: get that. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, Mike Bloomberg himself is, by nature, a risk taker, you know, and and he, you know, he's, it's basically a, a huge startup. You know, it's his private company. It's something he started and was able to build into a, you know, super successful organization. But I think it still has that kind of startup scrappy quality, uh, regardless of how big it is.
0: What's the design community like for you in New York city?
1: I mean, New York is one of a kind, you know, there's, um, people from all over the world Yeah, you know, some of the, the top talent from anywhere in any discipline all here, there's always some sort of event going on. I recently, um, last month went to something that AIGA put on about, um, VR and AR and how that's kind of Gaining some momentum as it relates to the world of design and creative industry, I think there's always something related to my career, and 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 there's always a a workshop or a class or something that'll sort of help round out and and expand my skill set. So that's what I've always I always want to remind myself of that whenever I'm feeling a little lethargic. Or something as simple as just going to a museum, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, there's just uh, so much at our fingertips.
0: When it comes to like your general, like design sensibilities, who are some of your influences?
1: I came from San Francisco and I, uh, I've always been influenced by murals and graffiti, you know, so some of the great graffiti artists of the eighties from, uh, movies like wild style. And so that, that kind of helped shape me and even some just local graffiti artists. Just seeing how they were able to, you know, quickly improvise and develop their own style and technique, and then I grew up in a in a neighborhood, the Mission, that was very predominantly Latino, and there's uh, just a there still is this really rich cultural heritage of of mural painting. So I've definitely been inspired by uh, Diego Rivera and other great muralists. And then sort of moving more into like graphic design, Swiss designers, Joseph Mueller Brockman, and there's a Dutch designer, Wim Crowell, who uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of. And then I mean there's there's so many just you know contemporary folks that I look up to and always am eager to hear from folks like uh, like James Victory, you know, and others that I think they're different folks that I look to and that I pull inspiration from. Mm -hmm. And then there are in in the world of design, but then there are also fine artists or architects or musicians. And I think it's, you know, I want to make sure that I'm always looking beyond just graphic design as an influence.
0: I need to see wild style. I saw the, um, the Basquiat documentary recently, the one that just came out. Boom for real. I don't know. Have you seen that? I haven't. No. There's a lot of footage in there from Wild Style. And so, like, they've got interviews with Lee Kenyones, And, like, it's it's basically about Basquiat leading up to his, like, big discovery into mm. the art world. It's a good documentary. It's short. It's, like, about maybe an hour. Not mm-hmm. over an hour and 30 minutes. Like, it's a, it's a short documentary. But it's packed with, like... Like, I left the theater, like, really inspired because it just had so much footage and interviews and stuff. I was like, man... It really kind of lets you see what New York was like back then in like yeah. the late 70s, early 80s, and how that environment contributed to producing an artist like Basquiat. It was really good.
1: Yeah, the grit, right? Yeah, It was like broken, like abandoned buildings and run down sort of neighborhoods. But then there's some like beautiful art going on and some really sort of out there cultural movements happening.
0: Yeah. So. When did you decide to make the move to New York City?
1: 2005 and it kind of happened pretty spontaneously. I uh, went to school in Atlanta I went to Clark Atlanta University and then I, I graduated and I was ready to go back home to San Francisco and just kind of regroup and figure out where I wanted to go next what I, you know what was next for me and I was working a little bit I was freelancing a little bit in San Francisco, but I didn't feel like I was making much progress mm-hmm. and I had a childhood buddy of mine in in New York in Brooklyn who I had stayed in touch with. And he hit me up one day and said, hey, man, uh, a roommate of mine is moving out. I have an open room here. Rent is like 400 bucks. And... (laughs) <laughs> like yeah. I was like, my my ears went up like, oh, okay. Yeah, what?
0: I come from San Francisco, uh, I bet. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I I can do that. I mean, I can do that at least for three months. Yeah. So I so I said, Bet, let me get back to you. And I I mean it literally took just a few days for me to decide. I'd always loved New York. Both my parents are from New York. Mm-hmm. I had been visiting since I was a kid. And I New York just has that that magnetic energy. Even if you don't want to live here, it's just a it's a special place. And if you're into hip hop or if you're into the arts, there's just something about it. So I, I always wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. And so that kind of fell in my lap. And I so I had to do it. I didn't have a job or anything lined up. I was just like, I'm going to make it happen. If mm-hmm. I don't, I'll just move back with mom and dad. You know, they'll they'll yeah. take me back. So <laughs> <laughs> no, but knowing that that wasn't really an option. I mean, it was, but I didn't want that to be the mm-hmm. option. So I... um. So I moved out and it was like, I mean, it was in like February with oh, man. massive blizzard the, the week, literally the week after I moved, wow. you know, we're talking, I'm talking about like four feet of snow and, but I still, you know, I loved it. It was just like, this is it, man. This is me. I'm an adult. I'm on my own. I can, I'm going to either sink or swim. And, you know, I literally was down to my last couple hundred bucks when I landed a, um, a freelance gig at, at JWT. Big uh, ad agency, which ultimately ended up into a, a full time opportunity, and I was there for you know a little over three years. Wow, that's quite a whirlwind. Yeah, <laughs> no question. I mean, I was uh, when it it got rough. I was out there like you know passing out flyers. Oh man, and, uh, um, so
0: you were hustling.
1: I, I was hustling, man. It was, it was <laughs> not it was not smooth sailing at first, but you know when you got when you got rent that's four hundred dollars. You can make it work. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's true. That's true.
1: Just taking on little freelance jobs to to keep food going, keep food coming, and things like that.
0: Now you might not have known this, but you and I were in the AUC at the exact same time. Wow! You were so, you were at CAU. You got there and you were there from like '99 to '03, right? Yep.
1: Yeah, I was
0: I was at Morehouse at that same time. Nice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: What was it like for you at CAU? Like coming from San Francisco and and. Uh, being in the dirty, dirty.
1: It was a culture shock, no <laughs> doubt about it, you know? I mean, I was ready for a culture shock. You know, I think San Francisco is, it's changed a lot, a lot since then, but it's always been very multicultural and very open-minded and very liberal. And, but it's a small city. It's a very small city. There's not a large black community. And now there's like 10 black people left in the city. It's crazy. <laughs> but even back then, it's, I just felt like I wanted to live in a black city. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to be near family. I have family in South Carolina, which is about, like, three-hour drive from Atlanta. Yeah. And I went on a college tour, and Atlanta just hooked me, man. It was like, I was like, I have to do this. Yeah. And I didn't know what I wanted to study at that point. I mean, most people don't when you're when you're a freshman or even a sophomore, even even later. I mean, it's there's so much going on. There's so much flying at you.
0: Yeah.
1: You got interested in women and just, like, just trying to enjoy yourself and not really I wasn't really focused on a career at that point, but Atlanta was just had a great energy and Clark specifically was, I know they are different schools, but I was, I mean, I was literally taking classes at Spelman. Yeah. Walking by Morehouse every day. Yeah. We had parties together. We had friends who went to different schools over there. So it was, it was definitely a community and it felt like I was a part of something. And I, I was able to make some really good friends early on and that really helped to just kind of survive the all the other stuff that's being thrown at you. And yeah. I had made some good friends who were actually from the Bay Area and that that helped kind of just keep that like home sense of home nearby, mm-hmm. you know? So
0: Yeah, I don't know if people realize like that freshman year. I mean, specifically the freshman year that that we were there, like ninety nine going into two thousand, there was just there was a certain energy in Atlanta that I mean, I, I mean I still live here, but there was a certain energy there. And I don't know if it was because I was just new to the city, but mm. that has been hard to recreate. It was like post Olympics, mm-hmm. like post Freak Nick, right at the turn of the century. There was just this certain like electricity yeah. about Atlanta. And like you said, the schools are, all, I mean, they're interconnected by the strip. So, right. like you go out on the strip, it's folks from Clark, folks from Spellman. Like I took, I took classes at Spellman during the summer leading up to me going to Morehouse. And I think I took like two or three classes at Clark like bio or something like that. So even yeah. though the schools are pretty distinct and separate, I mean Morehouse is all men, Spellman's all women, Clark is co-ed, you could take classes at each other's, you know, schools yeah. and then just kind of like interact. It was just like one big, you know, one big community, like you said. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I also like as we're talking about it, I just remember, you know, I'm not it's probably same for you, everyone in my circle just had a like a hustle mentality yeah like everyone was like regardless of how young we were and how (laughs) you know green we were it was still felt like people were ready to to make moves you know in their respective like career paths or whatever and I I just um we really fed off each other people wanted to of course enjoy their time there but also like get this thing going right like build connections get internships meet people learn what they could and, and soak in as much as they could and I think that was really healthy and none of the more we're talking about it I, it's important to to remember that,
0: yeah, I think it helped that like it was also like in the city, you know like yeah. sometimes you'll go to college campuses and they may be in smaller towns or they may be kind of segregated off from the makeup. like we were like in the thick of the city like you could hop on the thirteen and you're right in the middle of downtown Atlanta and mm-hmm. you know, go anywhere you want to,
1: yep, I know, and it, at one point. It was uh, a buddy of mine, and we had our own um, barber shop, kind of, <laughs> run out of run out of the dorm rooms. We had it on luck, like you know, we all <laughs> both kind of had our own style, but we basically went in together and we promoted each other, and and then we kind of carried that through to when we moved off campus, and yeah, uh, it just felt like we had this like sort of entrepreneurial kind of vibe, and it, we were connected to the city, and it was like you know we were building <laughs> connections through that. No, it was it was an awesome time.
0: Yeah, that was. I mean, you can't recreate that feeling of like
1: Mm-mm.
0: being out on the strip that late, getting wings at Stegels,
1: like,
0: <laughs> chilling. Oh Stegals. man!
1: Oh man! Don't get me started I about Stegels. <laughs> Busy whatever right Yeah,
0: <laughs> you were in the design program at Clark. I didn't even know that Clark had a design program <laughs> at that time. I had yeah. no idea that existed. What was it like?
1: It was great, and. I wanna back up a little because I think for me, I'll always remember my time at, at Clark, and I think there was this pivotal moment when I was a freshman, and I, I'm young, I'm a freshman, I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing. I knew I was interested in making visuals somehow, some way, right, I, I had always been, a, always been drawing and been interested in, in making, some, making images. And I knew that Clark had a strong media department, you know mm-hmm. Spike Lee went there other very prominent well-known folks in, in media have passed through clark and i went to the media department and at this point you know i'm really interested in like being hype williams you know the <laughs> director who, who made belly and other you know yeah. music videos i was like yo i, I could be this dude man i you know i can make some music videos i got ideas and i can't remember his name for the life of me but i think he was one of the directors of the media department i sat down with him we had a, like a good 20 minute conversation He just let me talk, right? And he was just listening, and just hearing me out. Let me, you know, ramble on about what I wanted to do, why I wanted to be a music video director. At the end, he says, you know, listen, Mikkel, you're welcome to stay in this department. We'd love to have you. But from what I'm hearing, it sounds like you need to go up to the art department and talk to them and just see what they're about. You might be interested in working out of the art department. So I did that. I was like, all right, I mean... We'll see. Mm-hmm. I was a little skeptical. I didn't know what the art department I was kinda like you. I didn't know they had an art department. And if they did, I mean, what was it? Like two people, like what's happening? And so the art department was up on the hill past Morehouse and Spelman, up towards up towards the freeway. Oh yeah, it was in that church. church. Yeah, it was yeah, in that church. Yeah, Park Street, yeah. Park Street Church. I was like, What is this random church? How is, it, <laughs> how is that the art department? Why is it you know, so I'm I'm skeptical at this point. Yeah. I go in there and I just fell in love, man. I mean, people were making things, they were working on posters, they were making lithograph prints, they were carving things, they were using computers at this point like I wasn't proficient in any Adobe Creative Suite program whatsoever. I'd open Photoshop once or twice and I was like fascinated. I was mind-blown and I stuck. So there was an art department, fine artists. There was a very small design group not, I mean, literally, like four of us, three of us graduated, but we had some really great teachers, underrated teachers, and there's a you know a lot that that happened beyond that point.
0: Wow, I gotta look into that. I mean, certainly as like I'm trying to do an upcoming HBCU month. We try to do it like every year. Sometimes we're we're successful, sometimes we're not. But I hadn't even looked at seeing like what it's like at Clark. I know Morehouse sorta had an art department but not really mm-hmm. we had like an art teacher but i mean i think we mostly knew that spellman had like a really good art program they had the BCN yeah on campus but i didn't know that clark had a design program like that that's
1: dope it was and it and we actually did have uh quite a few classes at spellman i guess mm-hmm. they you know which just kind of overlapped and i'm and i'm glad they did because some of my favorite classes were at spellman with um sculpture class or a, a life drawing class with uh, with actually with Larry Walker, who's uh, Kara Walker's dad. I think Dan may have talked about him. Oh, wow. Uh, he was incredible, you know, just kind of learning forms and, and lighting and shading and, and all the details. And, you know, I think his his class, you know, really stands out to me. It's just kind of a different way of kind of looking at everyday figures and reinterpreting them and finding your own voice. So, yeah, Spellman was great, and I'm just... Yeah, it was a really strong artistic community at the uh, the AUC.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if it wasn't just, like, formal art programs and stuff, it felt like people were always doing something artistic, music, rapping, etc. That's mm-hmm. where I first heard about Janelle Monet actually, was, like, on the strip one day, right. and she was performing. You remember there, there used to be this little bookstore. It was, like, in this pink building, like a small, like... It was almost like a house or something, but it was like a little yeah. shop and they would yeah. sell like books and like incense and stuff. And they had a little like patio, like a little wooden that's patio right. off to the side. And she was performing out there one day and she was uh selling CDs, like just burned CDs of mm-hmm. her first CD, The Audition. That's how I first heard about that's her. That's crazy.
1: That's yeah. crazy. That, that's great you remember that. Because I, <laughs> I I just recently read that Janelle Monet was uh, was going to, did she go to Clark? I don't know where she Stroman. went actually. She was down there anyway. She was down there like the same time we were and I Yeah. I was like, man, I wish I had like paid attention more. And yeah, just, some, uh, some
0: people from her crew. We went to Morehouse together. I know specifically um, George two point who's in her is like I think he's like one of her I don't wanna say hype men, I'm probably getting the title wrong, but him and yeah. I were like in the same class, ran together in the same circles like a lot. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, man, that was a that was a crazy time back then. Wow.
1: Yeah, lots of wow. yeah, lots of talented folks coming through there. I mean, it's it's great. That was a that's a special experience. So
0: I have a question for you. So we both are designers. We both went to HBCUs. What do you think about what HBCUs are doing now? If anything to like prepare the next generation of designers?
1: I mean, I actually don't know. I'm. I wish I had a better connection to what HBCUs are doing now, but I. I do know that there are some great, talented young folks coming up. They're more expressive, that are more sort of that have tapped into their voice and and have fewer like filters, right? They don't fit into a box. Yeah, you know, and and I think that's important. I think there's like this sort of combination of understanding digital and and social, and you know, also knowing how to tell a story, how to communicate a message. I think those are all important like qualities of of creativity that don't necessarily need to be confined to one t- one title, right? You don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to be a graphic designer anymore. You can be a creator, you know, you can be a creative technologist or an illustrator or get into sort of, you know, VR and AR or other things. And I think there's so many possibilities that hopefully HBCUs are um tapping into what's happening next, right? And arming folks with code and different skill sets so that it's it's um even more kind of diverse than when we were coming up. Because I remember when we were coming up it was like, all right, here's Photoshop, here's uh not even InDesign, here's Quark Express. <laughs> and, then, and then Or InDesign. Page Maker or something. Page Maker, right. Yeah. And then of course, you know, learning some of the fine art classes and and skills, you know. But now there's so many, so many other tools that young people have at their fingertips that I never took a class on how to design for social or how to tell a story through even video. You know, I know that was a possibility, but like now folks are just like so much more equipped and it's great.
0: And also like, you know, those educational programs just weren't even available back then when, when we were studying. I mean, I remember I got to Morehouse and I had been experimenting with the web and stuff in high school Mm -hmm. Just like I would go to my mom's job. She worked at a college and like play around with learning HTML in the computer lab. And so when I got to Morehouse, I started in the dual degree program. I was computer science, computer engineering. And I kind of just thought they were all related. Like I wanted to be like Dwayne Wayne off A Different World. (laughs) Uh, And so I go into the the computer science department at Morehouse and I tell my advisor that I want to make websites Mm-hmm. And he just kind of looked at me like I had an arm growing out of my forehead. Like, <laughs> he's like, what? He's like, the web. He's like, the web is a fad. Like, nobody's going to be doing things on the web in, in right. five years. He's like, that's a toy. He said, right. if that's what you want to do, you need to change your major. And so yeah. I changed my major. I switched to math, which I like math. I was good at math in, in high school and stuff. And so I switched to that. But I had always thought about, I mean, I've been thinking about it, you know, just on and off throughout the years. Like, if there were a design program or some sort, back then like what it would have been like Mm -hmm. you know i mean at morehouse they just didn't have it and now there's so much stuff on the web you can be self-taught there's boot camps there's places like general assembly etc where Mm -hmm. i feel like now if you're starting out as a designer there's so many choices that you have like we just didn't have that like 20 years ago that's why it's wild to think how much it has changed in just such a short amount of time
1: it's true it's crazy you know but i will say there's, I think, there's um, a benefit that we have coming up when we did. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of in between, kind of like an in between moment. Yeah, with uh, right before mobile, you know, right before the iPhone, right before you know Facebook and all that, and and a little bit after, you know, the sort of big kind of like print revolution, right? And so design was definitely respected at that point and had a firm sort of root in in society. So we learned the importance of communicating clearly, telling a message, and the sort of principles of design or color use and composition and all of those, typography, all those kind of foundational components. But But we also were able to experience Mobile technology coming to come into play and designing for the web and building things for small screens and you know being able to kind of see both parts of it, yeah, and be able to kind of tweak how we approach things, but still having that foundation of like all right, regardless of what you're making things for, whether it's a huge billboard or like a tiny you know screen, you need to be able to communicate a clear message. You need to be able to represent the brand, whatever the brand is, or yeah. whatever the whatever the thing is you're promoting. So that's something I always try to keep in mind. I think it's a benefit. I think it's an advantage that we have, actually, that we're able to to able to have that foundation but also be able to adapt.
0: I agree. I agree with that. And then also really to um, to be able to kind of self-propel ourselves in terms of learning this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much that we had to reverse engineer and figure out that wasn't just laid out right in front of us in the form of a tutorial or a class or something. It's
1: true. It was so new or it was so kind of, you know, maybe that's part of the HBCU thing. It was like, it's kind of a hustle mentality. Yeah. Right. You're not going to have the most resources. You're not going to necessarily have the most high profile teachers or the biggest budgets or even like the, the best quote unquote talent nearby. But Maybe it's kind of untapped talent, right? And you have to kind of make your way and mm-hmm. figure it out and connect the dots on your own and do your own research and, you know, meet the right people, get internships and learn on the fly, right? And learn learn as you go, kind of thing.
0: Yeah. It was a lot of hustling. I know even yeah. junior year, I was hustling to try to find internships and I was I was doing work study <laughs> in the computer <laughs> science department and had like had to sneak my name in the interview book so I could interview at Microsoft and Real Player and at these places because even coming up in the math department, you know, their idea of post college work was just going to grad school Mm. and doing more math stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's not really what I want to do. I had still been doing stuff for the web. I did the the web page for our scholarship program. I was taking clients, you know, on the side. And I was like, yeah, I think this web thing is what I want to do. So Mm. you know you had to be crafty because there was really no way to find out like because back then it was like you were a webmaster a web designer or a graphic designer like that was it right and so if you didn't fall into one of those three you know kind of tracks you were stuck and yeah now there's so many different titles and and it's just so many different ways now to be mm-hmm. a designer it's it's amazing really
1: it is totally
0: so what keeps you motivated and inspired with the work that you do?
1: I think just learning. I want to keep growing. I want to keep evolving. There's so much so much out there to to try that I haven't tried yet. There's so many, you know, I get ideas occasionally just on my own, not related to any brand or any client, but just, uh, hey, it'd be cool to do this thing, right? It'd be cool to make this poster. It'd be cool to make this little, like, video game or whatever it is. And just working with great people, you know, there's, uh, I think that's always what I've been driven by throughout my career is the collaboration part of it. I feel like I can work on my own and I can have fun, but it's always going to be for me more fun to go through, you know, the the lifespan of a project with other people, bounce ideas off each other and, you know, kind of share the kind of aches and pains and the joy at the end. Or even in, in the middle, right, where there's like, this is something cool. We can build it. We can do it, and it's going to come to life. And people are going to put their own kind of, you know, spin on it.
0: Yeah. You so even, yeah. you even uh, spent some time studying overseas, right? You were in Denmark for a while.
1: I was. Yeah, I was. I mean, that was. I was very fortunate to have that. My wife, who was, uh, I don't think we were married yet at the time, she was in grad school. She's also a designer. She's an industrial designer. She was in a program at Pratt. Which is a industrial design as an industrial design program, and they had a uh, study abroad portion where she chose to study from Copenhagen and to live there for the summer. And I said, "Let me see if I could latch onto that, you know, and just kind of <laughs> <laughs> just kind of piggyback my way over there somehow. Luckily, at the time I was working at a startup, I had a good relationship with uh, with my boss and you know, I just kind of asked him outright, like, look, man, what do you think? Would be all right if I worked from abroad over there? Yeah, I was expecting, like, ah, you can go for a couple of weeks, but, you know, we kind of need you back. Mm-hmm. He was like, man, go for it. That's a great opportunity. Do it. Nice. And I don't expect that to ever happen again. <laughs> that was a rare gift. But uh, they were cool. So I went over. And we found a um, found a house to live out of, and she was going to school, and I was, you know, working remotely on some projects for my— for my job, and and then I actually found some time to take a class, to take a three week workshop in, in interaction design, mm. and that was eye opening. Those three weeks were some of the most electric and kind of dynamic of my you know entire career, I'd say. Where you know I was open to things like Arduino's and and programming. I don't know if you know about Arduino's, but yeah, 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 yeah. And it's working in uh, this program called Processing taking data and bringing it to life algorithmically and thinking through physical interaction design, but also digital interaction and, you know, different displays. We built a robot, you know, albeit a crude robot out of a, like a stuffed animal, but we made (laughs) it move. You know, we controlled its movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, in those three weeks, there was so much, so much creativity and so many ideas flowing and so many talented people from around the (laughs) world who gravitated towards this, this place—it's called Copenhagen uh, Institute for Interaction Design, I believe. Nice. So, yeah, no, I think that just opened my eyes to a whole other kind of world out there beyond just typography and color and form and you know composition. And you know, going back to what inspires me, I think it's things like that, man. Learning about how technology comes into play.
0: When you look back at your career and your experiences. What advice would you give to your younger self? Like, if you knew then what you know now, what would you say? Travel more. Yeah.
1: Work abroad more. I don't know why I never did. I mean, I I travel a little bit with family, but I never I never went and studied abroad when I was in school. And there's so much out there culturally. You know, I'm I'm fascinated by like cultural sort of traditions and artistic kind of backgrounds of all these places from you know these far corners of the world and the u.s is is a really small kind of young culture in the grand scheme of things mm-hmm. you know yeah. and so if you have an opportunity to go really anywhere right i mean japan mexico africa europe latin america anywhere i would encourage young folks to do it and i, I wish i did more of it yeah is there anything that scares you creatively? Creatively, no. I think what what scares isn't maybe not the best way to put it, but I think what what's always been like a, a hurdle or a, a challenge for me is like is the politics or the uh mm. it's the, the egos or the um all the other stuff outside of creativity that gets in the way. Yeah. And I think that's always gonna be a thing, you know, when you're especially working in a a large organization, or in a corporate company, or an ad agency, there are egos. There are other people you, you you need to work with, and you need to figure out how to work with them. And so it's figuring out how to build the right relationships. So it doesn't scare me, but it's just something that you know requires a different part of your brain.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, if it was just about creativity, I think it'd, it'd be one thing. But it's especially as as a director, you know, as you kind of rise through the the ranks, so to speak, more and more, it's about relationships or strategy and working with people and, and getting them to kind of agree to your approach. The design part is, to me, is, is a little bit of the the easier part.
0: So in terms of you kind of leveling up from being a designer to getting to that director level of design, you say that relationships are kind of the thing that has made that possible?
1: Yeah, big time. I mean, I'd say basically every job I've gotten is, for the most part, through a contact that I met somewhere else. Mm-hmm. whether it's like a previous job that i had or a back to an internship that i had when i was in school it's relationships i mean you hear that over and over but it for me anyway it was so it was so true it's it's like you know i started out as a graphic designer kind of became an art director and then you know folks i've worked with just either liked my work or you know liked working with me or or both and saw potential and we're willing to kind of take a chance on on me stepping up and you know i've been able to to show them that i could and that just kind of builds more relationships right you know if you're a hard worker right going back to that hustle mentality a lot of it is i feel like creativity is just a, a part of it to be honest i mean i think a lot of it is really work ethic being smart being able to work with people being able to sort of think strategically connect the dots being able to to listen to your coworkers and the people you you know, you work with and and your clients and being able to communicate. Those are to me just as important as the actual putting the pen to paper part of it.
0: That's very true. Especially I think the communication part, being able to really sort of accurately articulate your concepts or your thoughts or things like that. I tell that to designers a lot, especially ones that write to the show They want to know how they can like get to that next level yeah. Uh, and I tell them they need to you know be doing more communicating, more writing or anything that just gets your thoughts out there in a way so people know that you're more than just like a set of hands that can like make shit in Photoshop, you know.
1: Exactly. Especially now, I mean with all these programs, all these tools, there's so many image makers out there yeah. that yeah. can make a picture. Anyone can make something look good. But what are you trying to say? What do you want people to feel? And that's not always easy. To pull off, you know, you might—it's hard to get something out of your head sometimes. And I think you—that's a real art form in its own right. Mm -hmm.
0: You've mentioned your wife. You've mentioned your family, just kind of briefly. What are the best things that you owe your parents?
1: Mm. Well, my parents are neither of them came from a traditional art background or design background. My dad's been a cab driver for like thirty years, I guess. Mm -hmm. My and my um. My mom is a teacher. She just retired. Congratulations, mama. They've had creative spirit, you know, creative energy throughout my upbringing and, and much earlier than that. You know, my dad played music on and off and is and is a big sort of music enthusiast. My mom is is a craftswoman, right? She makes um she makes jewelry, she gardens, she makes um kind of like these like bohemian like pottery objects. I guess uh-huh. I don't really know what to call them, but there's definitely a creative spirit running through my home when I grew up, and whether it's like these big sort of the posters that we had on the wall or musically or just kind of visually there was we were engulfed and and surrounded by so much from different cultures and and that was something that helped kind of put me on this path that and just encouragement you know not I understand that not a lot of people, especially black creatives. Don't always have the sort of support to pursue their design interests. You know, kind of like your story, how you were, you were kind of told, no, nah, don't don't get into web design. You need to study math. Yeah, I know that story gets told a lot, and I was fortunate enough to not really have that. They saw that I loved to draw. They saw that I that I was into making visuals, and I and they were in, very encouraging. Where do you see
0: yourself in the next five years? What kind of work would you like to be doing?
1: Oh, man, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I have been giving this some thought, and I wish I had a better plan. I think ultimately, though, it's more of kind of what I talked about when I was in Denmark. You know, it's like pushing the, the boundaries of what my definition of design is, you know, and I think it's learning things about code, interaction design, UX design, working in the VR and AR space, and and just getting out of the traditional, let's make a print ad, let's make a 30 second TV spot, because I know I can do that. And that's fun, but I want to continue to stay challenged. So I would say in five years, it's pushing myself out of some of the the mediums that I'm used to. I also think it's continuing to travel more, maybe potentially trying to, you know, work abroad for a little bit. And I always like kind of flirt with the idea of starting my own thing. I don't know if that's a five-year thing, but at some point down the line, having my own studio or my own kind of organization, like small shop where we're we're able to experiment.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think for every designer, it kind of helps to just have your own thing that's separate from being beholden by clients or by your job or something, something where you can just really kind of pour yourself into.
1: Yeah. You know, I think, you know, a big theme for me is control and uh, not that I'm a control freak, but you know, and I do, I do love collaborating, but I think feeling like I, uh, like my voice is being heard and like I am, uh, Building something, and that's always what I've looked for, and that's what I've, I've each of my jobs I've had different versions of that. And at Bloomberg, I have that I'm lucky to have uh, a seat at the table, so to speak, and you know my voice is respected. But I want to just want to make sure that I'm continuing to have take control over the trajectory of where things are going in my career. What sort of messages do I want to put out in the world? What sort of ideas do I want to share with people? So that's just something I'm conscious of.
0: Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online?
1: So you can find me at michkelfineisles it's m i k e l l f i n e i l e s dot com. that's my uh, my website it has a snapshot of my projects. You can also uh, check me out on LinkedIn. Those are probably the two best spots okay. for getting a sense of my work.
0: All right. Sounds good. Well, Mikel Fine Isles, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I really like a lot of what you said about just kind of your story of getting from a place of trying to figure out what your next step was going to be to now really making it as a designer in New York City, as design director, I should say. I like kind of how you spelled out those differences between agency life and sort of corporate life, I guess with Bloomberg, Mm -hmm. it can kind of be a, a bit of a tricky thing. I think for designers to realize how their skills can play across sort of different disciplines like that. And also it's just good to meet another designer that went, you know, to the AUC, especially like right around the time I was there that can appreciate the culture (laughs) yeah.
1: <laughs> what that was like. And Steagles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you again yeah. so
0: much for coming on the show. I
1: appreciate it. Thanks, Maurice. Thanks for having me. It's, it's great. I love what you're doing, and keep it up, man.
0: Thoughts of love are in your mind. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Mikel Fine Isles, and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Mikel and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Let Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, Glitch, Google Design, and MailChimp. With a community of over 2 billion people, the design team at Facebook works on a diverse range of problems. Everything Facebook designs is done at scale, so research, content strategy, data, and lots of other factors are a huge part of how they work. Sound interesting? Then learn more about Facebook Design and what they do at facebook.com forward slash design glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams now if you've seen glitch you might think it looks like a toy but let me tell you it's not it runs on the exact same infrastructure and engine that the best developers in the world use to run their apps and it's all built around the friendly community of coders designers developers artists activists and educators people just like you get started on making something awesome today at glitch.com Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. Mailchimp is the world's largest marketing automation platform. They support millions of customers from small e-commerce shops to big online retailers, and they support the creative community as well. MailChimp really gives you the marketing tools to be yourself on a bigger stage. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Andre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, then please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute or two. It helps more people learn about the show, not just here in the U.S., but internationally as well. It even helps the show by bumping us up in the rankings in general for Design Podcasts. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, if you're listening to this and you want to hear next week's episode early, then you should become our patron over at Patreon. Now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, if you support our journalism, then just go to patreon.com forward slash and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you can get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews and articles and so much more thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time